Welcome to the Save Your Marriage by Restoring the Man podcast, dedicated to all the men who are going through marital problems and want to save their marriages, with host Arturo Henriquez and sponsored by The Fortified Spouse. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this podcast. And remember, just this podcast is designed to help you save your marriage no matter where it is. And right now, we're looking at where you are in the relationship. The way we're doing that is by, you know, me answering some questions that a lot of our listeners have submitted. And these questions tend to be um, questions that are kind of like the uh, like the gold mine of questions because they encompass and they touch upon many, many other aspects, other questions that are more specific. Now, let me assure you that there is no way we're going to make it through all of the questions people have submitted, but we come across questions that others have. A common, a common theme. That's what I'm looking for. It's that question that may cut across a lot of different people. Now, when I choose one, there's often others that it relates to. So today I want to talk about some questions about what do you do when you just can't get any progress with or from your spouse for whatever reason, right? How do you push through? How do you keep going? And what we're talking about is not how to do How do you get progress as much as how do you manage yourself? Because there's one thing that often happens in the process of you working on a relationship and you not getting any movement from your spouse. And that is that you start taking that, you know, you start taking that on and letting it grow bigger and bigger and expanding into more and more of your life until all you're doing, really your life is all about working on saving your relationship. Um, And that's not healthy and that's not right and that's not what you should be doing. I have one person that asked, you know, I've been spending all of my money on this. I'm about to go broke doing all of this. Um, And this is one of the questions I want to talk about. The fact that they've been doing lots of things, spending lots of money and lots of time and resources only to have this person step forward, the spouse act like they're moving forward and then step away. And it's ironic, it's strange, because it's kind of like the yo-yo effect, right? It comes and it goes, it comes and it goes, and you want more of it. And it's kind of like, you know, you get a little win here, um, but the place is always going to end up winning. The casino is always going to win it back. That's really the thing that keeps us going back to the casino, to gambling. We almost get it, right? We get a little taste of it. We almost get something out of it. We almost get rewarded, Right? And there's an interesting little experiment they did. And I don't want to compare people to rats, but laboratory rats give us some idea uh, why we start overcompensating. Right, So they put, um, they put a lever in a cage in this ex- experiment with the rats. And so the mouse had to do something to get the, to the lever. Maybe go through a maze or complete some puzzle or something like that to get to the lever. And they would get a treat once they got to the lever. And so if they went to the lever and they got a treat, they would do that until they were full. And then they would stop because, you know, they were full. They had enough. But then they did another experiment where the rat doesn't always get the treat. It pulled the lever, uh, did what it had to do in terms of a maze or a puzzle. They pulled the lever and then nothing would happen. But other times they would go back and they would pull the lever and they would get a treat. So they couldn't know whether it was going to work or not. In that case, the rats kept going to the lever long after they were full. So they were getting the treat, but they'd still go back to the lever even if they were already full. In fact, 
They would gorge themselves only because they couldn't count on it. And that's the key. Well, that's kind of what happens with us. You get a little bit of positive feedback and sometimes that leads us to go overboard. And so what do you do when there is no consistent support, feedback, positive feedback? In fact, when it's given to you and then taken away. Well, there, there are some pieces that you want to manage and some pieces you don't want to manage. And this is going to be true for pretty much any cases that I talk about. So let's be very clear about what we can control. We can control our part of the equation. The danger is when we overcompensate and try to do what the other person needs us to do. And this happens all through our lives though, right? I mean, we often will do this when we see somebody, if we could just step in and do enough, maybe they would pick up and do their own thing. And what generally happens is when we're doing too much, other people do less and less. And so part of the question here is whether you've gotten into the the pattern of overcompensating. You're doing more than you need to do. Are you over-functioning? Which means that somebody else is under-functioning. I mean, that's the thing about functioning. There is a point when everybody's functioning, doing their part, playing their role. But we get into patterns in marriages where one person over-functions and the other person under-functions. And here's a little thing about that. Both people have to play the game. Both people have to do that. And this is a very important thing to understand. A lot of the stuff you're talking about requires your spouse to step in at some point. Now, that might be in a week, a month, six months, but it requires for your spouse to come into the equation. And so what you're trying to do is lure your spouse in. And so she acts like she's coming in and then pulls back. But it's because you've put the situation into places where there's a place for her to prove that she doesn't have to do that. She doesn't have to continue, right? That she doesn't have to step into it. So just kind of notice that. Notice when you're overcompensating, you know, trying to make her happy beyond your ability to do so. Uh, She has to step in eventually. Now, let's go into some other pieces because I'm going to come back around to some other parts that I, I think apply to everybody. So one person asked, so what do you do? What advice would you give me, you know, give someone to help them keep on track, stay the course and deal with the insecurities and anxieties when things aren't working, when, you know, when she's maybe not leaning in. So this is a common thread, right? Now we've, we're pulling it down to what can I do with myself when I'm having these difficulties here? And somebody said that I, you know, one of the pieces of advice that I gave was that you've got to treat your spouse as if you were dating. And I want to be very, very clear. I don't think I've ever said that. I don't think that's certainly not part of our program. Um, and I would not have said that because... I believe that the roots of our issues are buried all the way back there in our past, you know, long before we met our spouse. Part of what happens that gets us into trouble in the present moment has roots in our past in almost every situation. You know, maybe not 100% true in every situation, but it's certainly true in relationships. Relationships that are, ha- you know, relationships that are having difficulties. The roots of those difficulties are not new. And so you, you can't just go back to the old place and start doing it you know, the same way again. You can't just start dating without any baggage, without any history. It just doesn't work that way. The advice you're hearing about just treating them like you did when you were dating assumes 
that was actually working out back then. That got you to a great place. Yes, it did. And here we are today. The other thing is when you're dating, there's a thing called chemistry that is just beginning to kick in. It's just beginning to kick the process that is going to a haywire place in our brain that's not going to happen again because it's not, it's, it was all new back then. It was the infatuation that people feel when they're at the beginning of a relationship. Um, it's not something you, just, you can just conjure up today, you know, later on in life by doing some things you did early on. It just doesn't work that way. Biologically, there's a shift that happens. You know, and thank goodness, because if we all stayed in that dating kind of mindset, nothing would ever get done. There would never be evolution. There would not be, never be personal development, personal growth, individ, individually and at the relationship level. So we have to move beyond that, no go, not go back there. We have to find a way to keep nurturing the relationship. And the problem is going back to the dating thing, that's not how you do it. That's, that's not how you get there. So the final thing that this person asks is, what advice would you give someone like me to deal with those types of feelings of anxiety and depression and keep on track? I'm, I'm committing to working on this for my wife and for my kids. And what you're really doing is you're committing to working on it for the good of the relationship. Let's be clear about that. A divorce absolutely is difficult for the kids, but they do recover and you can't manage your wife. Right? So you're not doing it for your wife or for the kids. You're doing it for the relationship. And you're doing it for yourself. At some point, she's got to step into that process. Because if not, you're not, there, there is no process. One of the things that I try to clarify for people is you have to really take care of the relationship. And not get so wrapped up in trying to take care of your wife, your spouse. If you take care of the relationship, you will, by nature, be addressing the needs, hopes, and concerns of a spouse. That's just part of it, naturally. But many times when people try to take care of the individual, their spouse, what they end up doing is taking responsibilities on for a spouse that they are not capable of doing. And that puts you in a lose-lose situation. The other person doesn't have to do what they need to do, right? That they should be doing. You're now responsible for that. And here's a little clue. Whenever you find yourself responsible over something over which you have no control, like the other person's feelings and emotions and emotional state and thoughts and all of that stuff, you're in trouble. When somebody says, hey, you've got to make me happy, They've made you responsible for something over which you have no control over. You have no power. You could be doing everything right and they could still be miserable. Right? In the extremes case, that's always a losing combination. But you can address the needs of the relationship always. And that will address the needs, the wants, the desires, the hopes, the concerns of the people in the relationship, which includes your wife. Which leads us to how do you face the burnout, right? Or a serious depression, a burnout from your spouse. And what's embedded in these, this question, right? What if, what if you're doing everything right, but she's not responding because there's, there's some sort of depression there? 
right? What's embedded in this question is dealing with a spouse who has some depression, that that depression can gain, can get in the way because depression often is something that people try to fix in a multitude of dysfunctional ways. So one way that people deal with depression is to really try to cover it up with medication, alcohol, affairs, gambling, lots of the stuff that end up being kind of an addictive process or ways that people have tried to self-medicate depression. Now, let me be very clear that there's lots of other places where addiction is not about depression. So let's not go the other way. But you understand that many times people who are suffering from depression find themselves in addictive behaviors, trying to compensate for that. So that's the first thing we kind of need to recognize. That tends to be one way that we see medication, that we see alcohol involved lots of times in people who are dealing with depression, which, by the way, only causes more depression. Alcohol is a depressant. So when you're depressed and you add in a depressant, your sum is not going to be a better place. Medication, especially medication, is supposed to move people up, doesn't have sometimes doesn't help much. And I'm not talking about antidepressants as much here. I'm talking, you know, the antidepressants don't have a great track record, but they can help people. I also want to be clear about that. So at this point, we're talking about when people find other medications to take at attempts to feel better. Well, what often happens is that it makes them artificially feel better in one place, and yet there is this underlying shadow of depression in another place that even makes it more of an anxiety-filled place. Then there are those who see the depression as because of a relationship issue or because of something else. And just to be clear, when we're talking about clinical depression, we're not completely sure about what causes it, but it's different than situational depression. You know, let's say I'm working in my dream job and they lay me off. I'm going to feel depressed about that, right? That's because... There's a situation that's attached to, or maybe I've loved doing something all my life, and suddenly I can't do it anymore. So I'm going to feel some depression, sadness, until I figure out how to move beyond that because of the situation we're in. But when we're talking about actual depression, kind of chronic depression, it really has little to do with what's going on around us. In fact, I've many times had people come to my office saying, you know, I'm depressed. I can't figure out why. I mean, life on the outside is going great. My kids are doing great. My job is going great. We're really not having any serious difficulties, yet I feel bad. That is often a good way for us to know that there is a chronic underlying depression that is based not in a situational piece, but it's more of a clinical depression that needs to be treated by a specialist, by a professional. So one thing that happens in relationships is that somebody is depressed and they go, well, you know what? It must be the relationship. So I'll get rid of that. When somebody's trying to work with a spouse who is depressed, you realize you're kind of pushing against that. And sometimes that's a lot like, as they say, pushing the noodle, right? It just keeps on kind of crumbling up instead of moving forward because they've got this underlying issue. So let's tie this in uh, with what I consider to be kind of the three pieces that you want to notice The you know, kind of cuts across all the questions that I've already asked or answered here. The first one is to make sure that you have a plan. One of the ways that we can stay on track is always to make sure that, that if something 
is important to us is that we have a plan. That's the first thing. We make sure we have a plan. We've got a plan, a plan around whatever it needs that we need to stay on track on. You know, there's, there's a lot of people that say, yeah, I've got a plan. And then I kind of start asking, so what does that plan look like? And it turns out that they've got some thoughts, though it's not, you know, thoughts are not a plan. Ideas are not a plan. I mean, a lot of you know that from the business world. You know, you, you can have as many ideas as you want, but ideas are as, you know, they're worth, you know, the, pay, you know, the, pay, the paper that they're written on. If there's no implementation, if there's no plan, if there's no follow through, right? A plan has to be written down. It has to be fairly specific. Like you can see yourself doing it. For instance, let's say, well, my, you know, you have a plan and your plan is to save your marriage. Okay, well, what are the, what are the parts of that? How do you judge that? What are the elements that you look at? If you say my plan is to connect with my spouse and I'm going to look at that in three different ways. I'm going to look at the physical connection. I'm going to look at the emotional connection. I'm going to look at the spiritual connection. And under each of those, you say, okay, the way I'm going to connect with my spouse physically is A, B, and C. The way I'm going to connect with my spouse emotionally is A, B, and C. The way I'm going to connect with my spouse spiritually is A, B, and C. That's a plan, especially if you look at that and you say, I can execute that. I can do those things. I can even get feedback on those things from my spouse. And let's say the second part of your plan, which it should be, is what are you working on to change yourself? As we look at those pieces of what we're doing to change ourselves, not change our spouse, but change ourselves, then you can look at different ways that you want to grow and expand. And are they specific enough? You say, you know, you know what I've realized? I've gotten stagnant. I used to have this great hobby. I used to love photography, scuba diving or pool or sculpturing or painting or Taekwondo or whatever it is that you used to love. And I haven't done that. Uh, I've realized that I've lost the energy around that. So part of my plan to change is to get back into that because that'll make me happy. And that happiness is part of my growth. That's something you can manage. Or you may say, you know what? I realize that I'm not bringing my best self physically to this. I've allowed myself to gain some weight and I'm not eating well. And I'm not resting well and I'm all stressed out. So I'm going to decide to go back to exercising and eating better, dieting and getting eight to nine hours of sleep a night. All of those things are specific that you can then activate. You know, in this Fortified Spouse program, we talk about the domains, the physical domain, the spiritual domain, the relational domain, the mental domain, the emotional domain, among others. And you have to be good in all of those domains to be the best version of yourself. Uh, because if you lag in one, it's going to bring down all other aspects of, of your life, of how you act as a person, of being the optimal you. So then you look at a third area about how do you create a new path? Because again, your marriage is not working. And so it needs to become really a new marriage, a new relationship. And it's hard to think of it that way for many people. Um, but clearly the relationship you have now needs to change. And so it really has to become a new relationship, you know, void of all the baggage. The new path that I'm talking about is how you see the two of you as being a, a we, a team, a unit. So you look at that and there's areas where 
you need to really, really on the same page as a team and very clear about things like money and parenting, sex, resources, about how you see your dreams and expectations and hopes fitting together. All of those are ways that you can think more about how to be a we. And that's why it's so important, what I mentioned earlier, that you need to be thinking about the evolution of the relationship and not trying to satisfy the individual. Uh, and Because you, at the end of the day, you end up overcompensating. That person does less while you do more. The whole point is for both of you to start looking at the relationship. This as a we, as a unit, as a team. So that plan, that written plan, I find to be one of the best ways of staying on track in all of these three aspects. And again, this is why we created the Fortified Spouse Program. It is a clear plan to save your marriage and to help you grow as a person, as a man. It is specific. It has steps. It has coaching. It is a very thorough, comprehensive plan. A plan is often what we rely on. I mean, if you think about it, uh, isn't that how we manage anxiety a lot of the time? Isn't that how we treat processes and, and challenges at work? Isn't that how we, you know, raise children? Uh, if, for instance, let's say you're a pilot, you're, you're playing on what you do, you know, you have a plan on what you do when things go wrong and you follow that plan. You don't follow your emotional reactions. You don't follow your fears. You, don't, you follow a plan, a plan that you trained for. And by doing that, you stay on track. Part of what we're trying to do is create a place where you're functioning at a higher level because you're following what you need you know you need to do, not what you feel you need to do. It's not improvisation. So part of the way you can build it, and this is the second part of this answer, is to make sure you're really taking care of yourself, right? Concentrating on you. Self-care is important in this process because it allows you to keep going. It allows you to push through. It allows you to make individual progress, Sometimes I watch people try to save their relationship and they are treating it like a sprint, an all-out sprint, an all-out assault. And one of the things you have to realize is this, takes, this is going to take time. It takes a while. It's a marathon, which, by the way, you should train for. You can prepare for it. You make sure you're managing yourself. And that's training for this marathon. I'll give you another way of thinking about it. In Taekwondo, one of the rules is that you want to manage your energy. So I was at a rolling session a couple years back, which basically means after class we get together and we roll. And it's kind of like fighting. And in this particular class, you have gloves on and a mouthpiece on, and you kind of lightly, you know, lightly strike the other person. You're trying to give them some experience of being in a fight. And so in this fight, part of what you're trying to do is really manage your energy. Because one of the things that I'm constantly trying to do is manage my energy because here's what I know. If I go all out for the first, let's say, minute, minute and a half, which is about all, you know, about almost most people can do, exert in any given fight, and the match is going on for five minutes, you know what's going to happen? I'm done long before the match even started if I go all out, if I don't manage my, my energy. And what, what if I'm going up against somebody who is much better in managing that energy than me? Who's going to outlast? Who's going to, to win? Not because the other person is necessarily better, 
but because they can last longer. And so in that session, I had the opportunity. I have three different opponents who each had three different energy levels. One person is excellent and kind of my model for how to manage that energy level. He didn't move fast. He didn't move explosively. He doesn't use his strength as much. He uses technique and he's use, he uses his mind. And he uses his energy to move slowly forward and kill you. It's kind of like if an anaconda grabs you. It's not going to be fast, right? But you know that they've got you. They're going to, the anaconda is going to squeeze you down and eat you slowly, but they're going to get you. They don't have to move fast to do that. Now, another person who went all out, and fortunately for me, I was managing my energy better than him. So at one point when I finally had them, you know, that person on the mat, he looked and he said, so are, are you okay to keep going? I'm like, I'm perfectly fine. And it turned out he needed a break because he'd been going all out the very you know, first minute. Then the third person uh, who I had to fight um, used my energy to wear myself out, taking advantage of it at the last minute when I could no longer have the energy to keep going. And, and he beat me. He used my own energy, waited till I, my energy drowned. So there's different ways of managing energy, and we all have that ability, but we've got to make sure we're managing it on our own, and that's self-care. That's the self-care piece, and I often think about the self-care piece around certain pieces. For instance, are you making sure that you get amount, you know, a certain amount of exercise, something that keeps you challenged but doesn't wear you out? Are you eating well, meaning staying away from carbs, sugary foods? or other things? Are you resting well? Are you getting at least seven hours, if not eight or nine hours of sleep every night? Are you refilling your batteries? How are you on the mental front? How are you on the emotional front? How are you on the um, spiritual front? Again, these are the domains we talk about in the Fortified Spouse Program, but these all have to be managed with energy and they've got to be optimal. And those are the pieces that allow you to manage your anxiety better. It allows you to manage that pain better. And it allows you to manage your energy better so you can keep pushing forward. You can keep moving forward in this process. Now, the last piece I want to talk about is specific to the recovery process, which is that you start learning to speak your spouse's love language. It's so important. It's such a masterful idea of speaking a spouse's love language, knowing how they want to and most likely feel love. It's how they show the whole world that they love them. But specifically, are you speaking it to them? And I'll give you an example. When I first, you know, my wife, uh, when we first met our, in our early years, she would, you know, we'd get into a fight, a discussion, and she would buy me a cookie. That was her way of saying, I'm sorry. That was her way of trying to connect. That was her trying to, you know, use her love language. But me receiving a cookie didn't do it. I needed her to tell me how she felt. I needed her to hear that I'm sorry if she did something wrong. And I needed to have a physical connection with her, a hug, a kiss, or more. So she wasn't speaking my love language. Right? And so her efforts, while, while noble, were not, were not reaching my heart because she, she wasn't addressing my love language. Right? 
Because often there's a mismatch in our love language, and we just go, you know, we have to figure out how to speak their love language, not ours. One of the clues that we're doing it well is when it somewhat goes unnoticed by your spouse, your wife. You do their love language, and they don't go, oh, thanks for doing that. That will happen over time. Remember, it's a marathon when you consistently do this day in, day out day in day out they will be happier and happier they'll notice you more they'll notice you more they'll notice that you are closer to them the, the connection begins to happen a deeper connection starts to evolve that happens over time but they don't automatically say wow thanks for doing that or they just come out and say wow that feels weird you're doing you're doing something weird here stop acting that way now that may happen at the beginning because you are changing, and so you're breaking patterns. You know, your wife is used to you acting a certain way, and as you begin the journey of self-growth, of becoming a better person, you stop doing those things which for her are toxic, which are for her are part of the reason why the marriage broke down. And so at the beginning, you're going to have some of that, and that's normal. And she's gonna say that feels weird. It's strange because our relationship had, you know, has this dynamic. Now it has. Now you're doing this. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about her love language, right? If she's saying, "Whoa, that feels weird. It feels forced," you know, why does it feel forced to them? You got to ask. Why does it feel like they're acting a different way? Because if we're able to really hit their love language, it'll speak love to them. Again, it may feel weird to them or out of place when you do it at first. But they shouldn't really notice that something has changed, right? It's not some abrupt change, right? It's simple stuff like thank you or appreciation like, you know, thank you for doing the dishes. You know, she'll notice that, but it's not an abrupt change, right? That's why a lot of these crazy, you know, you you get the, the gut punch and you start asking her on dates and showering with presents and all that. That's, those are big gestures, abrupt. She doesn't want that. She wants the, the I, you know, thanks for doing the dishes. You know, you look great today. I love your smile. She wants that. That's what she wants. She wants to feel noticed. And yes, at the beginning, she's going to be like, what? He, he never used to say that. But, but you're talking her love language, right? It's this place where you realize that you've gotten by by their barrier because that's just how they know to feel love right and it's slow it's a marathon now sometimes we have to speak their secondary love language because their primary love language may be blocked from you right they really are on to the fact for instance you know physical touch if your thing is you know physical touch and you're trying to distance from somebody if they try to touch you you're going to notice it right off. So then there's a secondary love language you're going to look for until they are more receptive to that primary love language of touch. So when you're speaking that and somebody calls you on it, it tells you either that they have blocked it or that you're not quite right on the love language. And you want to think about that and reflect about that and, and put that into your plan. Which brings us back to the plan. The bottom layer of this is that there's always going to be some anxiety and fear about all of this. 
you know, when you don't see progress and you need to push through, you need to keep going at it, there's going to be fear, doubt, and anxiety. Why? Because anxiety and fear appears when they're dealing with something that's important to us. It's the sign that to you that it's still important. It's the sign that it matters. So accept that and keep moving forward. And the way to do that is to make sure you have a plan in place and to have some clear plan in there that, you know, about how you're going to take care of yourself. That's part of the plan. So if you're at the place where you realize you need to step more into this, first of all, become a member of the Fortified Spouse System because it is a plan. It's a program. I don't say go back to dating. I promise you that's not what I suggest. In fact, that's an area that I never have suggested. So it's not about that. If other people have been telling you that, don't listen to that. Get a plan. If somebody's telling you do not do the contact thing, don't do that either. That's not good advice either. Grab the system because it's built on how you can shift things by working on the connection and shift other things by working on you and who you are in the process and becoming a better man. The program is based on stages. And why stages? Because Rome was not built in a day and your marriage did not crumble overnight. Ultimately, trust was lost and it took months, if not years, to build that trust and it took years to destroy it so it's gonna take time to build that back but even before you you can even start building trust you've got to get to a place where you stop blaming your spouse and start concentrating on what you can control which is you not your spouse that is a myth you've never had control over her and you never will you do however have influence and that is why you need to focus on you to be a better man to influence her to join you in the journey of rescuing the marriage. There's a whole podcast on the five stages of the Fortified Spouse Program. We go through stages. There's no other way of doing it. You have to, the stage zero is, is, is all about shifting focus. That's when you got to stop blaming, get that anger, get that resentment out of your system and stop blaming your spouse and start blaming you. Start looking inward. And that's, that's stage zero. You cannot gain trust with your wife if you're blaming her for the failings of your marriage. You'll never progress. You'll stay stuck in the status quo in a failed relationship because you're trying to change her. You want her to change and you have no control over that. You never did. So stage zero is all about shifting focus. Stage one is about creating space. So it's about stabilizing the relationship so your wife doesn't run and try to get a divorce tomorrow. So that stage is all about giving her the space as if she was divorced so that there's no urgency. Because I'll tell you one thing, your wife may want to get a divorce, may want to give you a separation notice, but that's not what she actually wants. What she wants is not to be in this toxic relationship. She's through with the status quo. The truth is she doesn't know what she wants. And the only thing that she has at her disposal is separation or divorce or maybe an affair right because she wants to get out of this relationship she doesn't want this anymore so you've got to create that space so that she's not in a rush to break off the relationship she's not in a rush to divorce you and and that gives you time to build on you to work on you so that you can 
you know, lear- learn the skill sets, bring, you know, build your confidence, bring the best version of yourself out. And that takes time. And that's all about stage one. And stage two is where you start creating trust. And that takes time to build back up again because it took years to destroy. Right? And so stage two is all about restoring trust. And once, you know, trust is restored, then you can start going into stage three, which is reigniting desire. And that's kind of like by like being boyfriend and girlfriend again. But obviously with a history, not, not without it, you can't void that. But it's about touching again. It's about reconnecting. It's about, you know, reigniting her desire and making her feel desirable. Because to this point, she doesn't feel desirable. And that's why many people get, a, get, you know, get an affair because they have that void. And so once you reignited desire and you, you've you know, reignited that spark, then you move into stage four, which is renewing hope. That's when you are now working on your relationship, no longer you against her, but as a team. You both realize that you, you know, the relationship can work and that it needs to improve, but now you're doing it together as a we. And then the fifth stage, obviously, is keeping the stages alive. It's, uh, it's renewing hope. It's forever after. And so the fortified spouse is all about the stages because it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, and I have a whole podcast that talks about the five stages. I recommend that you listen to that. So whether it's the fortified spouse program or something else, the point is to push through this, to get through this to focus on the relationship and influence her, not control her, but influence her, you have to have a plan. And it's got to be a long-term plan. Thank you for listening. If you're hurting, if you're lost, if you're in despair, you need to understand what is actually going on. You need to get the tools to become confident, independent of your wife. You need to get the tools to better communicate. You need to get the tools to deal with your emotions. You need to get the tools to manage her reactions. You need to get the tools to deal with your insecurities and your triggers. You need to get the tools to become a better version of yourself. You need to start to make decisions that are empowered instead of disempowered. So if you're facing decisions, if you're facing this anxiety, what do I do? How do I respond when my wife is being toxic? I don't know what to do. My wife doesn't love me. I don't know what to do. My wife is cheating on me. I don't know what to do. She wants a separation or a divorce. I don't know what to do. Well, we can help you find those answers and give you those tools. Now, if you're interested in learning more about these tools, how to stabilize the marriage, how to postpone and delay the divorce or separation so you can work on yourself and save your marriage, how to start making changes to you, how to start building confidence, how to start being an empathetic listener, how to communicate, how to build trust, how to change your context, how to build desire, and so many other things you need to do to become a better man, to become a better husband, to become a better father, to save your marriage, to win your wife back, then I invite you to take part in the Fortified Spouse program. Go to fortifiedspouse.com and enroll in the program. The program is going to change your life. It's going to make you a better man. It's going to restore the man in you and it's going to save 
your marriage. This is Arturo Henriquez, and thank you for listening. You have been listening to the podcast, Save Your Marriage by Restoring the Man. For further information, visit the Fortified Spouse at www.fortifiedspouse.com. Thank you.